tonight, I'm so excited. Um, we have an incredibly special treat. Um, Chad Gray has been Harbor Uptown forever, forever, um, since it started. Um, he is the site director here at Uptown. He's also our normal worship leader, and uh, he is just a delight to be around. If you know him, you pretty much love him. And I've been, I've been able to experience some of Chad's giftedness that maybe you haven't. Um, every week in our staff meetings, we gather around uh, the scriptures, and we look into God's word and see what it says and what does it mean. And I can't tell you how often I am struck, um, even stunned by the insights that Chad has into Scripture. Um, I feel like he has a foot grounded in the culture of the ancient world and the other foot grounded in our current culture today. And he's able to bring these cultures together in ways that, for me, make Scripture come alive. And so I've been begging him to preach to us. Um, for a while, and he finally agreed. So, um, so I'm excited. He's going to be opening God's word to us. And uh, so, um, yeah, th- this is a treat. This is a treat for us. So, Chad, come. Come and share with us what God has on your heart. <clears throat> oh. <laughs> Y'all are supposed to be at the game. <laughs> I don't know why you guys are here. Um, so, um, the last time I did something like this was um, it was at my uh, I officiated my sister's wedding, and um, I was I was so nervous that I almost uh, I almost couldn't complete it. Um, and uh, and right at the moment when um, I was just about, I was about to crash and burn. Um, one of the bridesmaids just passed out, just <laughs> went down. <clears throat> and I was like, yes, thank you. Um, it was so helpful. It like just relieved the tension, and, and like we just were able to get through the day. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what I needed. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Wow. That was awesome. Um, all right, I'm excited. Um, if you tuned in late, we've been going through the book of Matthew. And um, up to this point, um, Matthew has presented Jesus in some, some really vivid colors. Um, he's the son of God. He's the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. Um, he's got this urgent message about how the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which means that it's happening right here, right now. And he's been going throughout the land. He's been doing all sorts of crazy stuff. He's been healing people of every affliction and every disease. And, uh, and now, by the time we get to chapter 5, um, there's just crowds of people following him around. And so he gathers up 12 guys, and he takes them up on a mountainside, and he sits down to explain the situation. All right, now, Jesus came to save the world. And, um, and these 12 guys are integral to that plan. And so Jesus is going to spend the next three years with them, pouring his life into them and teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. And in Matthew chapter 5, that process is just beginning. So this is like, this is a really important moment. This is like the first day of school um, when the teacher comes in with the syllabus and, and hands it out and says, welcome to class. This is what it's all about. 
And so, um, starting in chapter 5, Jesus is giving us his syllabus. So I'm going to look tonight at, um, at verse 13, uh, which means that we're already 12 verses into the syllabus. And so you can go online and you can check out the past uh, sermons if you want to uh, really dig into verses 1 through 12. But for now, I'm just going to give us a summary to kind of get us up to speed. Um, so the first thing is that, remember, Jesus' big message is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's happening right here, right now. And now he's teaching his disciples what that means. All right? Second, 12 verses in, if we had to summarize the, the kingdom of God in one word, the word would be blessing. It would be blessing. This is how Jesus starts his syllabus, is talking about blessing. All right, number three, Jesus includes his followers in the list of people who are blessed. All right, in verse 11, he shifts pronouns. He goes from saying, they are blessed, they are blessed, to saying, you are blessed. And what he does with this shift is he makes the kingdom of heaven personal. It's like he looks you in the eyes and he says, you, if you're following me, you're in. So that's the context we're in when we come to verse 13. So, um, so you can turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, or you can find it printed in your bulletin on page 6. And I left my bulletin over here, so I'm going to grab it to prove to you that it is indeed on page 6. I will read from it. So listen up. This is God's word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And our verse for this week. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we are eager to hear what you have to say to us tonight in this passage. We know uh, that your word, and by the work of your spirit, has the power to change us. Please use our time tonight um, to open our eyes to your truth, to dispel darkness from our minds, um, to heal our hearts, to reconcile us to yourself, and to lead us into a life of joy and thanksgiving for your goodness. I ask this in your name. Amen. So you are the salt of the earth, right? Heard this one before? This is kind of like one of those phrases that's like worked its way into popular culture. Um, so when we hear someone say like, Joe and Sally are the real salt of the earth people, um, we, we think that that means uh, that you know, Joe and Sally are good, solid, trustworthy, dependable folks. You know, they're the kind of folks that we want to have 
as neighbors. Um, and uh, that's just naturally what we think of when we think salt of the earth. But, um, but really the question is not, what do I think or what do you think? The question is, what, is, what did Jesus actually mean when he called his followers the salt of the earth? And I think we should take a closer look. Um, you're the salt of the earth. What does it mean? Um, well, it's a metaphor, right? Jesus is using salt as a metaphor, and, and we know how metaphors work, right? Jesus is talking to his, uh, his uh, followers. He calls them salt. Therefore, the characteristics of salt are meant to enlighten our minds to the characteristics of a follower of Jesus, right? It's kind of metaphor 101. Um, pretty straightforward. But in order to understand the metaphor, we need to understand the characteristics of salt, um, and we want to try to see this metaphor not through our own eyes, but through the eyes of Jesus and, uh, and the audience that he was actually addressing. So how would somebody from first century Palestine understand this metaphor? Because that's how we should understand it. And uh, as I've been studying it, I, I really think that two of Salt's characteristics in particular would have, would have stuck out in the minds of Jesus and his audience. And those two characteristics are that Salt is a preservative and Salt adds flavor. It's a preservative and it adds flavor. Um, and I think as we look at, at both of these characteristics tonight, you're going to see that when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, he's telling you two things. He's telling that you that, um, that you are blessed and you are a blessing. He's saying you are blessed and you're a blessing. So, um, so let's take a look and see where I'm getting this. Um, so point number one on your outline, if you want to take notes on page seven. When Jesus says, you are salt, he's saying, you are blessed. He's saying, you are blessed. And this is because salt is a preservative. So in Jesus' day, um, they didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have freezers, right? Um, So the main function of salt was that it was a preservative. Um, It has a remarkable ability, salt does, to keep food from rotting, um, which is absolutely essential in any civilization, right, that doesn't have a frigidaire. Um, And in fact, it 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 was so valuable... Um, that often its production was, it was, um, it was legally restricted. And, uh, and it was often used as currency. It was used as money. Um, wars were fought over salt supplies. So that's what a big deal salt was. Um, but most interestingly is that because of salt's characteristics as a preservative, um, it had become a symbol of immutability, of, um, of eternity, of, of permanence. Right, the, the Greeks used it, uh, or they, they attributed divine characteristics to it. Um, the Egyptians used it in their mummification process as a, uh, as a sign of immortality. And all over the ancient world, people would use salt to bind covenants. All right, so kind of like we use the seal of a notary today, they would add salt to make an agreement permanent. So a covenant of salt was an unbreakable, permanent covenant. And it's interesting because we actually see this in the Old Testament. Uh, It's in Numbers chapter 18. uh, And this is when God is establishing the priesthood of the Old Testament worship system. And and when he does, he promises to make a way for the sins of the people to be borne by somebody else. So that the people could be forgiven. So they could be made right. So they could have a relationship with God. And, And God says, to certify how committed I am to this promise... I add salt. We see this, right? It's right right in verse 19 in Numbers chapter 18. God says, This is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord for both you and your offspring. It's an everlasting covenant of salt. 
So it's signed, it's sealed, it's delivered. So to the people of Jesus' day, um, functionally salt is a preservative, but symbolically, it's an image of permanence. It's an image of permanence. So when Jesus says, if you're a Christian, if you're following me, you're salt, he's saying, you are permanent. You are permanent. Okay? So what, what does that mean, right? What does it mean for a Christian to be permanent? Well, check it out. When you choose to follow Christ, you become a citizen in a kingdom that will last forever. When you choose to follow Christ, you're following a king who will reign forever. When you choose to follow Christ, you're choosing a life that will last forever because Jesus takes a piece of his permanence and he puts it inside of you. And as that piece of heaven takes root and it starts to grow, more and more of your life takes on the characteristics of heaven because Jesus has put heaven inside of you. Now listen, Jesus' goal is not to make nice people. All right, His goal is to make new people. And he promises that once this process begins, that it will continue until every last part of you is new forever. That's what it means to be permanent. That's what it means to be blessed. Um, so there was this one time um, several years ago when, when Melanie and I were still dating. Um, and I treated her bad. Just one time. <laughs> so I was, I was selfish. I was selfish one time. And she called me on it. Um, she called me on it. And when she did, I immediately uh, saw that she was right. Um, and, and the knowledge of my wrongness, it, it, just, it just crushed me. And I kind of went in this tailspin of just um, self-loathing. <laughs> and I was talking about what a crummy person I was. I was listing off all of my other bad qualities, in case you hadn't noticed. And, um, <clears throat> and it, Melanie, in, in a way that I will never forget, she very gently stopped me. And she said, idiot, you idiot, um, um, listen, <clears throat> when you put your faith in Jesus, God made you a new creation. Your old self passed away. Everything broken about you became untrue. And so all of these bad qualities that you're listing off, um, they may be hanging around for now, but they're passing away. The only thing that's really permanent about you is the new creation that Jesus is making you into. That's what it means to be permanent. That's what it means to be blessed. So this, um, this last week, you know, I've been thinking about this stuff, and, um, and it occurred to me, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm Chad Gray, and I'm, my, I'm a follower of Jesus, right? This is, um, this is true about me. And um, if I'm a follower of Jesus, that means that, that Jesus is speaking to me in this passage. When he says, you're salt, he's saying, Chad, you are salt. You are permanent. And so I started praying about it. I said, um, man, if that's true, Jesus, would you show me some evidence of this permanence of heaven that you have put in me? Would you show me some evidence? 
And so I prayed about it, and I thought about it, and, um, and it dawned on me that I really love the idea of redemption, of God taking um, broken things and making them new. I mean, it just, I, my heart just sings over that. So I was like, okay. I, like, I wrote that down, you know. And I, uh, and I, and I kept thinking about it. <clears throat> and then it occurred to me that... Um, I kind of like studying and reading the Bible. I kind of like it. It's cool, you know? And I'm pretty sure that I like it now more than I did, say, like five years ago. So I could, I, if I was graphing it out, I could, like, there's like a slight upward trend, you know? <laughs> so I was like, okay, and I, I wrote that down. And I thought about it some more. I prayed some more. And doggone it, like, I have to admit <laughs> that I, I really like um, worshiping in church. With y'all, um, I love singing songs that remind me of, of how great Jesus is. <laughs> I mean, I like freaking lost it in the pew here. Um, I can't think about it because I'll, I'll start. I mean, I was like crying, and um, and it freaks me out when I when I think about that because I know for a fact that that I used to not be that way. Like I used to not like worship. I, it used to weird me out. Honestly, church was freaky to me, and. Uh, and now here it is, like, I know that I love it. I mean, these are pieces of heaven in me. And, I, and I'm not sharing this stuff to say, look at how heavenly I am. No, I mean, these things, they, they feel like little tiny, crummy little kernels in me, honestly. They feel small. It is so much easier for me to list out all of my bad qualities and all the ways that I come up short. And honestly, those things seem much bigger and much more real than these little pieces of heaven in me. But Jesus says, uh uh-uh. Those things are passing away, and it's these little pieces of heaven that are going to grow, and they're going to multiply, and they're going to last forever. That's what it means to be permanent. That's what it means to be blessed. So, so, like, what about you? What pieces of heaven has God put in you that are going to last forever? Because when Jesus says you're salt, he's saying you are blessed because I have put the permanence of heaven in you. So that's point one. You are blessed. Point number two. You are a blessing. When Jesus says, you are salt, he's saying, you are a blessing. And that's because salt adds flavor. Um, so Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It's the oldest, um, it's the oldest manuscript. Um, and in Job chapter 6, verse 6, Job himself says, Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? So everybody knows and is known for a really long time that salt adds flavor. So when Jesus uses salt as a metaphor, um, it's not too much of a stretch for us to, uh, to think that he might be talking about taste, about flavor. And, uh, and if you don't believe me, it's actually right there in verse 13. <laughs> so after Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, he says, but if salt has lost its, its taste, if salt has lost its taste, it's no longer good for anything. So we know that the flavor of salt is really important and that Jesus wants us to spread this flavor around. So the question becomes... What, is, what does salt taste like? 
right? What does salt taste like? Well, we talked about salt as an image of permanence and how when we follow Jesus, he plants the permanence of heaven in us. Here's the thing. Heaven has a taste. Heaven has a taste. And the more Jesus puts heaven in us, the more we taste like heaven. And Jesus even describes what heaven tastes like right here in verses 1 through 12. When someone is gripped by the knowledge that Jesus is making them new so he can bless them forever, they live in a new way. They live in a new way. And Jesus says, right there in verses 1 through 12, they willingly admit that they're spiritual beggars. Right? They're honest with God and with themselves. They mourn over their sin. They're humble. They hunger and thirst for God's righteousness because they know they don't have any of their own. Right? They're merciful because they know they need mercy. They're pure in heart. They're seeking out and making peace in the world. And even in the midst of suffering and persecution, they rejoice. They rejoice. Why? It's in verse 12. Because they know that the reward is great. They rejoice because they know they're blessed. This is what salt tastes like. Have you ever been around someone like this? I mean, if you have, like, you know, they just taste different. And it's not that, it's not that Christians um, can live this way perfectly. They can't. But when a Christian lives this way even a little bit, everybody knows that it tastes different. It tastes like salt. And Jesus calls this taste salt, and he calls it the flavor of heaven in the world. It's the flavor of heaven in the world. Um, so I was thinking about examples of this that, I, that I've actually experienced. Um, and uh, it made me think about a friend of mine, and I'll call her, um, I'll call her Margaret. <clears throat> so Margaret is probably in her 50s, and she has some pretty, phys- uh, pretty, pretty significant physical challenges. Um, she's, she's super shaky on her feet. She has to use a cane. And, um, and she's mentioned to me a couple times that she has some memory issues. And so as I was talking to her this last week, um, I said, hey, Margaret, do you mind if I ask, you know, what's up with the cane and, and what's up with your memory? And she explained to me that several years ago she was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and she wasn't expected to live. And so, um, and so they just hit her with, with both barrels of, of chemotherapy as sort of a last-ditch effort. Um, and it worked. She survived, but the chemo just devastated her body. And it crippled her. And she lost a lot of control of her, um, of her motor skills. But she survived. But the chemo um, had an effect on her, and one day she passed out. And she fell. And she hit her head on the tile floor. And she hit it so hard that um, she actually incurred brain damage. And so now, on top of um, being crippled by the cancer, she's losing her memory. And in fact, the day that I talked to her, she had been going through boxes of family photos and labeling them so that as her memory fades, at least her son will have a record of the family history. That's messed up. Like, what do you say to that? So I was, I was like, Man, Margaret, I'm I'm sorry. And she said, don't be. 
This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. God has used the cancer and has used the brain damage to show me the love of Jesus more clearly than I have ever experienced before. Now, like, I've read articles, you know, where someone says that some tragedy is, like, the best thing that ever happened to them. And it is different when you're standing face-to-face with that person and you can see the cane and you can see them shaking and you can see the loss that they're experiencing right now. And they look you in the face and with calm conviction and joy. She says, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me because in my brokenness and in my suffering, I can see Jesus more clearly. Man, that just tastes different. That's salt. That's the flavor of heaven in the world. So when Jesus says, you are salt, he's saying, you are the flavor of heaven in the world. You are. But why? Why does he want us to be the flavor of heaven in the world? It's because God is an evangelist. God is an evangelist. The storyline of the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God in love seeking after men and women who have wandered away from him so that he might rescue them from destruction. That's the storyline of the Bible. And so when Jesus, God in the flesh, shows up on the scene, it's not surprising that like one of the first things he does is gather 12 guys together and say, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. He's saying, I'm on a mission to rescue men and women from destruction, and when you follow me, that becomes your mission too. And I'm going to teach you how to be fishers of men. And here's lesson number one. Fish with salt. Fish with salt. You become a part of my plan to rescue men and women when your life gets salty. When you live in a way that testifies that I have planted the permanence of heaven in you, you have begun to fish. So look, we can have, um, we can have classes on apologetics and sharing our faith. And we can have books on uh, the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And we can, um, we can know theology backwards and forwards. And those are all good things. Um, but when it comes to God's passion to rescue men and women from destruction, none of those things hold a candle to a single follower of Jesus who tastes like salt. So... Um, So John Piper, he's a pastor in Minneapolis, and he sums it up like this. Salty people are people who have experienced such a radical revolution in their desires that they crave the kingdom banquet of God's righteousness more than the temporary taste of money, family, praise, power, sex, scholarship, friends, or anything. When you meet that rare brand of person, you suddenly discover that all other brands are bland. 
And this radical brand alone is the salt of the earth. When Jesus says you're salt, he's saying you are a blessing because you're the flavor of heaven in the world. Um, So I grew up in a Christian home, uh, pretty much going to church my whole life. But somewhere along the line, my version of Christianity uh, became basically like behavior management. I spent a lot of energy like doing the right things in public and hiding all the wrong stuff I was doing in in private. And as a result, when I did the right stuff... um, I was pretty, uh, pretty arrogant about it. I was kind of a prideful person. And, uh, and when I did the wrong stuff, man, I was just racked with guilt and shame. And I lived in fear that someday all the stuff that I was hiding would be exposed. And so um, the fruit of my religion uh, was pride and shame and fear. And by the time I got to college, and I was wore out. <laughs> I was sick of it. My heart was bitter. And uh, man, I was ready to pitch the whole thing. But I had a friend. His name was Vince. And Vince knew the gospel. Um, if you had asked me, I would have said that I knew the gospel. But the truth was that I, although I knew that the word gospel meant good news... I had never actually experienced good news for myself. Now, as I spent time with Vince, uh, it became evident to me that um, Vince had a glaring character flaw. And this flaw was that he was really honest. <laughs> and it was super uncomfortable. Um, specifically, he was, he was very honest about his sin. Right? He was very honest about his sin. I mean, he would, he would openly admit that he had real struggles, and that he just failed over and over again. And I could tell that he was torn up about it. He was honest and he was humble. This was, this was strange to me. <laughs> but it got stranger when we would talk about God. Because in spite of his failures, um, he was convinced that God loved him, and that God wanted to bless him. In my world, like I just had never experienced assurance like that. Um, he had a combination of, 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 of humility and confidence that like, like I just I'd had no category for it. And, uh, and the way it made me feel is, is kind of hard to explain. Um, kind of like a roller coaster, you know, it's that mix of, um, of like joy and terror, you know. <clears throat> I was actually frightened because um, Vince was talking about stuff that I had struggled with my whole life, but I never had the courage to admit it. But there was also this like thrill of hope, right? Because I thought maybe, maybe I could experience this, um, this same kind of freedom and confidence. And my friendship with Vince, it was like a, it was a real turning point for me. Um, because Vince had something that I wanted. And um, the more that I heard him talk about Jesus, the more I wanted to know this Jesus. And my heart began to soften, 
And, um, and I started to experience the good news for myself. Now, looking back on it, you can, you can see what was happening, right? Vince was salt. Vince was salt. He was blessed. He knew that Jesus had planted the permanence of heaven in him. And the fruit of that was freedom and confidence. And he was a blessing. He lived in a way that spread the flavor of heaven into my life. He was blessed. And he was a blessing. Christian, you are blessed. You are a blessing. You're the salt of the earth. This is who you are. This is Jesus just getting started. This is day one of the syllabus. I'm stoked. I mean, like, I'm convinced that as we follow Jesus through the book of Matthew, we're going to see the blessing just get bigger and better. But for now, I'm just going to tie it all up with a couple thoughts just to help us apply this to our lives. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, um, if you're just checking things out, you're kicking the tires, um, I'm glad you're here. Or if you're, if you're something like I was, if you're worn out and you're sick of whatever behavior management treadmill you are on, if either of those describe you, I invite you to hear clearly the message of Jesus. He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's happening right here, right now. Don't miss it. Follow me and I will plant the permanence of heaven in you. And I promise, with a covenant of salt, that everything broken about you will come untrue. I will make you new. This is a free gift. It's a free gift. All we have to do is accept it. And in a, in a few minutes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And if you want to accept it, you can just pray along with me. If you do pray with me tonight, um, please tell somebody. <laughs> you, know, you can tell me, you can tell Pastor Stephen. Find a Christian friend to tell. <clears throat> But tell somebody, because you're going to need help figuring out how to follow Jesus. And to my Christian brothers and sisters, we cannot forget about the rest of verse 13, right? Um, Which says, But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So how do we keep from losing our saltiness? Well, I think the passage suggests just two steps, and I'm just going to hit them real quick. Step one is found in the only command that Jesus gives us in the whole passage up to this point. It's in verse 12. He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Why is it significant that this is the only command? It's because you're saved by grace. You're saved by grace. 
You're not salt because of something you did. You're salt because Jesus called you to himself. He gave you his righteousness. And he declared you to be salt. It's a free gift. That's the great reward. And that's the great reward. And the surest way to lose your saltiness is to forget about your great reward. But when we remember the reward, when we meditate on it, when we chew on it until we taste its flavor again, man, we rejoice. So how do we remind ourselves of the great reward? That brings me to step two. And step two is do what the disciples did. Follow Jesus. All you have to do is read ahead a couple chapters to realize that these guys are not particularly salty. Right? And that should be a great encouragement to us. Because Jesus still calls them blessed. He still says the reward is great. They follow Jesus and as they do, he pours more and more heaven into them and he makes them salty. And we can follow Jesus in the same way. We can listen to his word by reading and studying the Bible. We can talk to him in prayer. We follow him by being in community with other believers, by trusting him with our lives, by serving others in his name. And like the disciples, um, we worship him as our, as our Savior and our Lord. When you follow Jesus like this, he will remind you of your great reward. When we follow Jesus like this together, he will pour more and more heaven into us. And my prayer for us is that like the disciples, he would make us salty enough to change the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that when we listen to it, we hear you telling us about your passion to rescue us from destruction and to fill us with blessings. As we follow you, will you teach us how to rejoice more and more in our great reward? And Jesus, um, there are people here tonight who have never heard this good news. And there are people here tonight who have missed the good news because it's gotten lost in some list of do's and don'ts and hypocrisy. Would you speak to them right now in a way that quiets their doubts and their fears and assures them of the truth of your word and of your love? I'm going I'm to pray a prayer and I invite anyone here that wants to accept this free gift of salvation to just pray along. Jesus, I want what you have to give. I admit that I have wandered away from you, but now I want to come back. I don't have all the answers, but I know that I want you to put the permanence of heaven in me. And teach me how to spread the flavor of heaven with my life. I want you as my forever king. Please make me a citizen in your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. 
Amen.